0: we have been going to transition into just talking about the message. And we've been looking at growing deeper over the past few weeks and uh, what it means to really put our roots deep down in our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and so this morning, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a recap of some of the main areas that we've addressed. And then I also want to take a moment to add on one more that relates to our discipleship. I want to highlight one other area that really ties into what it means when we are discipling uh, with Jesus Christ. And and so um, we we have this uh, thing that I've been putting up on the screen each week, and it says a life that has roots deep into the life of Jesus produces the life that Jesus provides. And again, the idea behind that is that if we want to have a life that looks like Jesus' life, if we want to have the abundant life that Jesus can provide, we don't get that on our own. We don't just somehow will that into happening, or we don't even just read the Bible enough and somehow that happens. It's a whole being type of thing. Our roots of our life, the whole, uh, our, our whole internal being, our spirit, our soul, our mind, our body, all of it has to be rooted in the life of Jesus Christ. And, and then, then we begin to experience the life that Jesus can provide. It, it, it's, it's like a tree with a fruit, right? The fruit doesn't just show up on its own. It is produced out of the health of that whole tree and especially the root system that goes down for that tree. And so that's really the idea that we've been focused on. So let me pray as we come to the Word and we look at ways in which we can go deeper with Jesus and the ways that this happens beneath the surface The different ways that we disciple, apart from our prayer, apart from our Bible study, apart from Sunday mornings like this, how do we get beneath the surface so that we can deal with the issues that matter in terms of our discipleship? Lord, we bring to you ourselves. This morning we have, that's the the most that we have, the best thing we have to offer you is ourselves. It's the thing you want the most is ourselves. So, Lord, we... Come, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us out of the Word this morning, uh, to search us, to know us, and Lord, help us to know you more through your illuminating the passages of Scripture, through bringing to mind areas where we need to surrender before you, Lord, and the ability to rejoice in the areas where we see growth happening, to be able to celebrate where we see new life budding out in our lives too. All of it, Lord, help us to see it this morning. Reveal it to us and let us walk in the fullness of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we look at going beneath the surface, uh, there are really three ways that I've highlighted over the past few weeks that we kind of get beneath the surface in our lives and what's happening in our discipleship with Jesus Uh, The first one is facing our past without living in it, and I talked about that probably for a couple of the Sundays, is this idea that far too often we run from our past. We want to get away from it. If if there's something negative out of that, if things we feel good about, we want to embellish it, right? Or not even embellish it, but just live in it and dwell on it. Uh, If you're Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, then you embellish the past, you know? I could have won state if, you know, I... Or I could have been an Olympic athlete or whatever the story may have been. You can always embellish it a little bit. But, but really, if it's good, we live there too much. If it's negative, we run away from it. And the truth is, in our discipleship, we, we really want to have a right perspective of our past. We want to understand what's happened in the past. But we have to put it in the context of being a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And that is an exciting gospel message. That is is wonderful news that we're a new creation in Christ. That the old is gone. The new is here. We are are ready to to walk in this newness of life. And it's really at the heart of the gospel. It's what Jesus came to do is bring new life and and, uh, bring us to the Father so that we could experience new life in Him. But, What this means is that we begin a new life with a new spirit and and, and a new relationship to our Heavenly Father and a a new way of dealing with our, our sin and our burdens. What it doesn't mean is that our past no longer matters. What it doesn't mean is that we just take everything from the past and we shut the door on it and now the only thing that matters is from the point that we become a Christian going forward. That that's not even really possible because we our mind isn't able just to get rid of stuff out of our mind. And when we try to, even it becomes unhealthy. What happens is we we suppress things, we push them down so that they don't come back up. And and they do come back up, don't they? The most inopportune moments when we wish, you know, we could just get control of it, and then anger just busts up there. And what's the anger from? And oftentimes it's residual stuff from things that we haven't resolved or things that aren't resolved within us. And so we begin this new life with a new spirit, new path forward with the Holy Spirit empowering us to live in it. But again, we have to disciple out of that old life, those old habits, uh, the old mindsets. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, you need to be renewed in your mind. Well, we wouldn't have to be renewed if God just gave us a brand new mind all of a sudden, right? If we became a follower of Jesus and he goes, here's your new mind You know, here's your new spirit. Here's here's you know all the new thoughts, and you just get to have those. You know, boy, some of you are like yes, (laughs) you're like yes, please do that, Jesus, do it that way. That's not how it happens. It's a discipling process. It's a renewing of our mind, and and so what it means is that we put under our discipleship. We take a look at what has influenced us. How is the culture? How was I raised? How did that influence me to become the person that I am now? And does who I am now and those values and those things, do they reflect the values of the kingdom of God and what my heavenly father looks like? Do they look like what Jesus looks like? How about my, my upbringing, my earthly parenting and, and how I was brought up as, as a child? Does that reflect the image of God? Does it reflect the way that God has worked in my life? And in some things, so here's the other risk that we have, is just throwing it all out and saying, oh, it was all terrible, it was all bad. No, no, there were things that even if you had a difficult childhood or didn't have uh, parents who raised you in in, uh, Christian principles under Scripture, there's still things that you could learn. There's things that they modeled for you. In some ways, it's, it's, you know, very likely there are some things they did that did model God's heart. And so we don't want to just get in this habit of just saying, well, it's all good or it's all bad, and, and that way we can just move on. No, we, we can't change what we're unaware of. So if we're unwilling to look at those things and put them under the discipleship of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, highlight for me areas where you want to change what's in me, what was given to me by my parents, what was given to me by my culture. Show me where you want to change me. Show me where you want to conform me more into the image of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. We recognize it. We see what's in the past, but we don't live there. We don't have to live there because new life in Jesus Christ doesn't doesn't cause us or doesn't even allow us to have to live in our past. Those bonds, those, those things that restrained us, those things that don't reflect the image of Christ, Jesus says, I won victory over those on the cross, They no longer hold authority and power over you. You are no longer bound by them. You no longer have to live by them. You have the ability through the infilling of the Holy Spirit to be renewed in your mind, be renewed in your attitudes, be renewed in your understanding of how you should handle relationship, how you should handle finances, how you should handle uh, forgiveness of others and yourself, how you should love. What does love look like? It's Love in the kingdom of God is completely different than love in the culture around you. So all of these things, we, we learn from what was passed on to us, and we're not afraid of it. We're not afraid of looking at it. We're not afraid of exposing it all and just saying, Lord, this is, this is what was given to me by the culture, by my family. Uh, this, is, this is what I lived out. But now, Lord, I don't, I, don't want, I don't have to stay there. I don't want to remain in that place. I want to take what was good. I want to take what reflects the image of my Father. I want to take what reflects the kingdom of God, and I want to be able to move forward. I want to move into the purposes and plans that Jesus Christ has for me, and I can do it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that stuff, what I might need to do is I need to disciple out of it. I need to be transformed in my thinking. I need to deal in those areas and bring them to the surface. I need to pray over them. I need to invite somebody else to give me biblical counsel. How do I deal with this area? How do I mature out of that so that it doesn't be the way that dictates my way forward, but it truly can be just part of my past? And now I'm reparented in the image of Jesus Christ. Good? Good. Yeah, that's part of our getting beneath the surface. Far too often, again, we just want to bury it. We want to get past it. We want to leave it alone. We don't touch it. We we act like it didn't even happen. But what happens is it just continues to pop up and affect. What well, we want to get to the place is my past. I can look at it. I can see it. I know what it was. I know how it's influenced me. But it's under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and so I I can look at that and see how God can transform me through His His work. The next one is we when beneath the surface stuff is we're growing through grief, loss, and hardships. Oh boy, do we. <laughs> Part of our getting beneath the surface and our our growth, our maturity in Christ, as we grow through grief, loss, and hardships. So this is a, this is a spiritual reality, but we see it in the physical realm as as, as well. I'm, I, out of the corner of my eye I catch Adam Burke over here, and Adam does lifting, and he's done uh, training, personal training for different folks. But but uh, one of the ways that you develop muscle is resistance, right? If you don't have resistance, you, you don't have anything developing that, that muscle. So if, you, if you're at the gym and you lay down on that bench and all you've got is air and you just keep doing this, you know, you can put up a thousand of those, right? But you're, you're going to see maybe some cardio work going, but you're not going to see a lot of muscle development because you got to get that resistance that pushes against your arms and that muscle and it builds up that muscle, the more resistance you have. And so you that's why it takes time. You don't just sit down underneath that bench and you press up 250, 300 pounds. No, you you put on a little bit and then you slowly build up to that because you develop that muscle through that resistance. Do you know that's actually a spiritual reality that we see that's a good physical illustration of it. We build up our spirit. We build up our inner man, our inner woman through difficulties, through hardships. We grow in a, as a disciple through Challenges. Listen, how many of you would be the person you are and as have, be, have been reached the point of maturity that you're at if you hadn't experienced some type of hardship? How many of you would appreciate how to handle finances if you didn't understand what it's like to have nothing? How many of you would understand what, the value of your relationships unless you understood that you had poor relationships or no relationships? You understand the value of something because you know what it's like to lack or to struggle or to deal with something. So that resistance, as much as we don't want it, as much as we we try and get, get it out of our life as quickly as possible, it's that resistance that helps grow us. Do you know in your life, one of the greatest forms of resistance is grief and loss and hardships? Now, you know, please, please hear me. I'm not saying that. I want you to have grief and hardship and loss. I'm not saying that God's heart for you is grief and hardship and loss. What I am saying is that's a reality that's unavoidable for every one of us. There is no way to experience life without grief and hardship and loss. So if you're fighting that battle, I want to tell you it's a losing battle. You're going to face it. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? Are are, are you going to be broken and destroyed by it and angry and bitter because you've had to face grief and loss and and hardships in your life? Or is it going to be that you're going to allow God to use that because God will use everything that we surrender to Him? He will take it and He will use it to be able to form us on the inside and change us to be more loving people, to be more compassionate, to be more patient have insight about our, ourselves and about others around us. He will use anything that comes into our life so that we can know Him more and that He can be glorified and so that we can be transformed more into His image. You know, all it takes is reading Scripture, uh, your prayer time, you look at church history, and, and you should be able to develop a good theology of, of grief and loss, a theology of suffering. Uh, most people, I would say, don't have a good theology of suffering. Meaning, we we know it exists, we don't want it in our life, but we don't know where God fits into it. And we haven't really developed or thought that through. What is God's role in my grief and suffering? Oftentimes, we want to run away from that question because we say, well, if, if God's involved in it at all, I don't like Him. <laughs> if He's hurting, if, if He's involved in any of my pain or any of my losses or any of my hardships, all I want to do is not know that because it's helpful if I only see God in the light of all he wants to do is get me out of it. So the difficulty is that we have to develop that. You have to develop that, do the inner work of reading scripture and spending time with Jesus to understand, where God, where are you at in the midst of my suffering? Where are you at in the midst of my difficulties? And don't just make it up Turn to the word. Turn to spiritual counsel. Spend time in prayer and time and allow God to speak to you. Don't just make it up on the fly, but take time to develop. God, where are you at in the midst of this? Let me give you at least part of a start of a theology because it's right in Genesis chapter 3. Here's where grief and loss begins Genesis chapter 3. This is God speaking to the woman. This is after. They had sinned against God by being disobedient to him. And this is what he said will happen as a result of their disobedience. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food uh, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So you think, well, church is encouraging this morning. (laughs) Listen, I want to give you a point of origin of where our grief and losses and pain comes from. It begins with our simple disobedience to God, and it's the same result today, our disobedience to God, to His Word, violating what He does in our life. But, but there are things that are unavoidable in this life, and I know, because I've thought this through, I've said, wait, Jesus broke the curse, Jesus broke sin, He overcame death, and yes, that is absolutely true. You and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not live with the effects of the curse for eternity. When we go back to the ground and we are resurrected and we spend time with him for all of eternity, we will not uh, experience the effects of the curse. However, however, even though I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I still feel the effects of it today. I still have to toil. I still have to work and work through thorns and thistles. Uh, my, here's the curse for for women. One, women struggle with intimacy. You want to be known, you want to be cherished. Your your desire, it says, is for your husband. If you are married, that relationship of being fully known and, and very close and intimate. But here's what Scripture says, part of the curse is it's on his terms. Meaning more often than not, you desire a greater level of intimacy or being known or closeness and he usually feels like it's fine. However we are, we are. (laughs) Things are are good. How are you feeling, honey? Fine. Tell me fine. What does fine mean? Right? We, We use stereotypes, but there's a reason, generalities that exist. Part of that curse is the longing to be known, the longing to be close. He says... Your desire will be for him, but it will always be on his terms, this pain that exists, right? So that doesn't mean as followers of Jesus, we submit fully into the curse and we just say, well, that's just the way it is. No, we say, listen, we're going we're gonna to disciple and bring more of the kingdom to here. So men, don't, if you're married, don't turn to your spouse and say, I'm fine. And you just, that's part of your curse. <laughs> you just... You just need to deal with that. You know that's part of your curse. No, no, no. That's not what we're, what we're saying. Is that's a, a reality that exists because of the brokenness in the world. Is that you long to be known, and there's this gap where the spouse, the husband, tends to feel fine about. That's a, a general, generalized curse. The husband, you're going to work for painful toil. Wouldn't it be great that if he took care of something, men, and it was fixed? When I say it's fixed, usually I mean it's fixed right now. When I'm done in the house and I fix something and it's taken care of, I usually have in the back of my mind, there's five other things that are broken. And over the course of this next year, there's two or three other things that will also be broken. It just means that I'm never done. I never feel like things are done. That life always has something else that is either undone or being undone while I'm fixing something else. And so while I don't work as a, uh, a farmer and I'm working in the field and having to deal with weeds out of there, every man that I know in their life, they have weeds that they look around and they just say, they won't go away. There's always something else that just keeps popping up that's trouble and I can't get it fixed. And so we say, why is it the guys always want to fix things? Why can't they just let something be? It's part of their curse. You will live life always aware of the weeds in your life, and they will never totally be gone. But listen, here's the thing. We don't leave it that way. That's not, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is Jesus came, that we could bring the kingdom of God, and while I feel the effects of the curse on this life, that I don't just resign myself and say, well, it'll never get fixed. I don't do anything. No, no, no. We continue to say, how do I bring the kingdom of God to this place, Lord? I know my fixes aren't permanent fixes, but I God, I ask you to bring from the kingdom of heaven, bring it to earth so that what you can do would show us an example of what your kingdom looks like. So I bring these two examples up because if you're looking to develop a theology of suffering, of pain and hardship, the Genesis accounts should certainly be a part of it. Understanding why these things exist in the first place. Why is there brokenness? Why is there, there hardship. It doesn't have the final say, but it is a reality for us. The curse doesn't get the final word. Jesus has the final word, and he's spoken loud and clear that he has overcome death, hell, and the grave, that he's overcome the curse. And so that's our promise. But Christian women still give birth in pain. Christian men still toil, and nothing seems to be completely done. And if we run from these pains, if we run from grief, if we run from loss, just like our past, it will chase us down. We won't get it out of our life. And so the question is, what am I going to do, Lord? Am I going to avoid it? Am I going to deny that it exists? Or am I actually going to invite you into my deepest losses? Am I going to invite you in to where I've experienced hardship? So that you can speak to me through those, so that you can disciple me through that. Another one is living in transparency, humility, and grace. How do we get beneath the surface in our discipleship? Well, we have to deal with our past. We have to deal with uh, and bring our grief and loss and hardship to the Lord. But we also have to live with transparency, humility, and grace. This is where we started out this series, actually. Jesus instructed his followers to not be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Let me read to you Matthew 23, 25 to 28. Jesus speaking to his disciples, but he's addressing kind of the lifestyle of the Pharisees. He says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites!' For you're like the whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus goes throughout his whole ministry really addressing that issue. That's his, one of his biggest confrontations with the religious leaders of the day is that they had this appearance that they were Because they were law-abiding, in fact, they exceeded the law, they added on law, so that they could appear more righteous than their neighbors and look even better on the outside. And he says, listen, don't be like these guys. (laughs) Deal with the inner person. Deal with what's happening inside and let the outside be a reflection of what you're addressing on the inside. They lacked what I talked about before, transparency, humility, and grace. They had arrogance. They had pride. They wanted to sit at the best seats in the table. They wanted to be viewed by others as having it all together. And Jesus is saying, don't. Please, disciples, don't do this. He goes throughout his ministry saying that if you are self-sufficient, you will miss out on what the kingdom of God has for you. If you believe that everything you have is enough and it comes from within you, you're going to miss out on the best gifts and that's what God has to bring to you. But if you, in transparency and humility, can say, Lord, I need you. Lord, without you, I'm blind. Without you, I'm, I'm impoverished. I have, I have nothing. You're the one that I need. In, the, in those moments, we'll be satisfied. Luke 18, he addresses this uh, again. He uses a parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He said he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God, I have to use that voice of the Pharisee, God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And that's where he ends his prayer. Very prideful and arrogant. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If we're we're going to get to the inner life, if we're going to live freely and lightly, if we're going to live in a way that Jesus can bring that abundance, we have to live with transparency. We We have to live with humility. We have to live not with any sense of pretense that we've got it all together, but with this willingness just to say, Lord, anything that I have, and this is the last thing I want to highlight this morning before we close with the opportunity to respond. Anything that I have is a gift. Everything I have is grace. Lord, nothing within me Lord, it's not from within my own life. I don't draw this stuff out of me. There's, there's not enough intelligence. There's not enough wealth. There's not enough uh, influence. There's, there's not enough righteousness that I muster up on my own. It's all from you. So living in humility, transparency. And I finish with just these last two minutes on this. Everything about the life we live in Christ is a gift. Everything we live in this life in Jesus Christ is a gift. It's grace. It's grace. Everything you have is a grace of God. Every relationship that you have is a grace of God. Every bit of supply and giving that God has put into your life, it's by grace. I haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. We don't work for God to be able to approve us and love us. He gives it to us. He gives us his son, not because we earned it, but because he loves us and it's grace. So when I talk about discipleship, I talk about beneath the surface, please hear me in this. We're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We're not trying to get a lineup of who's the most righteous and who's more discipled than the other disciple. (laughs) That's not the direction we're going as a church. What we're saying is it's grace, it's all grace. Everything that God has given us, none of us are deserving of it. It's just by His mercy and His compassion. Everything about our life is a gift. We're graced with so many things. We don't earn the love, we don't earn salvation, we don't earn our way to heaven. It's grace. And so that, that allows us to live freely and lightly. The people in your life, the relationships, the fact that they love you, even knowing you. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying, I know myself. I know myself. I know what I'm capable of. I've read scripture. I know what humans are capable of. I turn on news. I know what humans are capable of. So I'm not saying that you're an adulterer, a murderer, and a terrible person. I'm saying I know what you're capable of. And it's amazing that the people in your life love you, right? It's amazing that the people in my life love me. They've had to show me mercy and forgiveness. They've had to show me great compassion and understanding. They've had to be long-suffering with me as I work through things. People hear me this morning, it's a grace. If you walk out these doors this morning and all that you hear is that everything in my life is a grace and a mercy of God, I'll do a mic drop and say that was good enough. <laughs> Listen, that's, that's what we need to understand. If we're ever going to be transparent and humble with one another, and recognize what we need in life, it begins just by saying, I don't deserve anything, but it's all by grace. But hear me on this last thing, because you need to hear this too, very clearly. Everybody listening, your life is a grace to others. You are a grace of God. To the people around you, to your community. God wants to work in you and through you in such a way. You are a gift. You're not a problem. You're not a curse. You're not trouble to God. He's not annoyed with you, He's not put out by you. Your life is a gift to others. And when you and I can live freely and lightly and we can deal beneath the surface of all that stuff and we can truly reflect God's image in our life and and His purposes in our life, oh, don't you long for that day when there's nothing hindered in that way. And don't you want to grow deeper in Jesus so that's more the reality now? I can wait to get to heaven for that, but, but I tell you, I want to be the best gift to you I want you to be the best gift that you can be to the people around you. I want you to experience that free and light life in Jesus where they get to see Jesus more and more clearly in you. And so as you offer the gift of yourself, people would see you and just say, Oh, what a gift. <laughs> what a gift you are to my life. You bring Jesus to me. I see his forgiveness. I see his love. I see his presence in you in such a way that I'm just so blessed that you're in my life. And, and some of you, please, please, please don't say that's not me or I'll never get there. I'm just not that type of person. Please hear me that as you walk with Jesus, as you surrender these and you do the work of discipleship that Jesus calls you to do, people can experience you in that way. I would, t- I would tell you they experience you now that way that you now are a gift. You're not working to become a gift. You now are a gift to the people around you. But what we want to do in discipleship is allow them to unlo- unopen even more and to see more of Jesus and to be blessed more and more through who we are and who we're becoming. Worship team, if you'll come forward. Let's finish this morning. It's, it, for me, it's just been such a, a special time to be able to look at the OCC, and pray over those times to recognize more of our volunteers, to spend time in the Word. And I think now is a great opportunity for us just to be able to respond. And I would just encourage you two different ways as we, we come to respond to the Lord is is one, recognizing His graces in our life. Again, if you do nothing more than just spend this last five minutes just recounting all the ways God has graced your life, then what a great day of worship, recognizing that. But I also want you to include yourself in that. Lord, thank you for making me a, a gift of grace to those around me. Not in arrogance, not in pride, but just simply saying, Lord, if, if you've done anything in me, it's that I could be a, a gift to those around me. So Lord, help me recognize that I'm a gift. Even though I'm not all there yet, even though I have stuff that I still need to work through, my life is a gift. And I pray that I would offer it in that way, that people could receive it in that way, and that I would offer it as such. Would you join me in standing and, and let's uh, respond in these last few minutes, both through worship. If you want to receive communion, we have uh, the bread and, and uh, juice up here and you just take the bread and dip it in there. And that's just acknowledging the work that Jesus Christ has done to bring you The grace. So if you're a follower of Christ, that communion table is open to you. And then our wonderful prayer team, the volunteers are so thankful for their ministry. They're available in the back in our prayer room. And so um, again, if God is just stirring in you something to respond in prayer, if you need healing, we know a number of folks who are just kind of dealing with some sickness here that's kind of spreading throughout the valley, the flu and cold stuff. Please don't say, ah, it's just a little thing. No, no, no. God cares about everything. And so receive prayer. They'll pray over you, they'll bless you, and we'll pray for healing. Lord, we give you this response. We give you ourselves. Thank you, Father, for gracing our lives and then allowing us to be a grace and a blessing to others. Lord, we we are committed to doing the work of discipleship. We're committed to allowing you to get in the innermost being of who we are as men and women in Christ and to transform us by using our past, by using hardship, by allowing us to be transparent and humble before you. Lord, we give you ourselves. Be glorified in your name. Amen.